The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Ooh, shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter stormtrooper armor polishers. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 27, It's All About That Cape, and we'll be talking with New York Times best-selling author Daniel Wallace about his latest deluxe Star Wars book, The Imperial Handbook as well as his many other books about the Star Wars, Marvel, and DC universes. Superheroes, supervillains, Darth Vader, it's all about that cake. We only do one podcast a month, but we're geeky all the time. So talk to us on Twitter and Facebook, and email us at thegeeks at generationsgeek.com. Also, drop by generationsgeek.com for handy links to all our podcasts. Now, on with the show. Daniel Wallace, hello, welcome to Generations Geek. Hi, thanks for having me. We're happy to have you here. Yeah. I want to jump straight in to the new Imperial Handbook. The Imperial Handbook is uh, really the fourth book in a series that I've worked on over the last few years. And the first one we did was called The Jedi Path. Mm -hmm. And the second one we did was called Book of Sith. And then the third one we did was called The Bounty Hunter Code. So we tried to do the you know, light side of the force, the dark side of the force, and sort of the the gray side. Yeah. <laughs> and then we did the Imperial one, which is a new one. And all of them have had this sort of uh, in-universe feel. My favorite thing is the, the little handwritten notes from the other characters. They're all books that conceivably could, you know, with a little bit of suspension of disbelief, <laughs> exist in a galaxy far, far away. And that you are in possession of that particular copy. You're holding it right now as you're reading it. And so the notes in the margins are the ideas that for all four of them, and continuing with the Imperial Handbook, that it was a manual, in the case of the Imperial Handbook, it was a manual that's issued to Imperial officers when they become commissioned officers in the Galactic Empire military. And then um, that this particular copy had been recovered by the Rebel Alliance and they were sort of studying it to find out, like, well, isn't it interesting how the Empire, you know, indoctrinates its officers? And they're sort of making these comments here and there. And the the people who are making the comments are different people. So it was kind of fun, too, because they were written in their voices. It's uh, Princess Leia and Han Solo and uh, Wedge Antilles, this X-Wing pilot. And then yep. people like uh, Mon Mothma, who's a leader of the Rebellion and... Um, various characters like that, so it was kind of fun. There's different POVs in there, I guess, yeah. or different voices. It really brings an, an extra fun layer to the book, and I imagine that that must have been a, a really extra fun layer to be able to write as well, so that you're not having to write in the same tone throughout the whole book. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's the same thing with the other books that I had done, but in the case of the Imperial Handbook, there's four sections, five sections. There's a section on the Imperial Army, which is the you know, the AT-AT walkers and, and these kind of vehicles that you see from The Empire Strikes Back. There's a section on the Imperial Navy, and that's TIE fighters and Star Destroyers. Uh, there's a section on the Stormtrooper Corps, which are obviously the Stormtroopers. There's a section on sort of uh, rule by fear, fear. So that was about, like, super weapons like the Death Star. And then there was a, sort of a, another section about just the general philosophy of uh, the Emperor 
and uh, his ideas on military and things like that. And so each one of those was written by a different uh, writer. So there's a little bit of uh, different points of view in those that, you know, the guy who's writing the Army section doesn't think that highly of the Navy, and the guy who's writing the Navy section doesn't think that highly <laughs> of the Army. Uh, but then within the comments from the Rebel Alliance officers, they're even more different because they're not they're not even uh, – at least the Imperial guys are – they have rivalries, but they're all imperial officers, yeah. so they sound similar. But with the rebel people, like somebody like Han, you know, he's not going to say <laughs> anything in the same way that anybody else is going to say it. Did you work a lot hand in hand with the artists and illustrators to bring something like this together? It's interesting because there's a lot of different illustrators with this, and it's always interesting to see the different styles. Mm-hmm. Usually, what we do when we create this is I uh, work from an outline, and I, I write up the outline like I was just saying, like, hey, we're going to talk about the Army and the Navy and the Stormtrooper Corps and all this, and then uh, it kind of gets the approval. And then as I'm writing, the uh, designers are sort of slotting in, like, you know, every other page or every few pages we need to have an illustration, and then they're trying to find the most iconic things on that section that they could illustrate. And then usually it gets sent out to the illustrators to do and then I get a version back uh, of the sort of the placeholder art. It might not be final. Mm-hmm. And then my job is to kind of look at it and just, you know, make sure that everything looks good, but also to write captions. And then, you know, if for some reason um, it doesn't work once in a while, very rarely, but once in a while something doesn't work, like it's just illustrated the wrong thing or something like that, mm-hmm. and I get redone. But um, the illustrations are, are very important because – I think they not only are they really nice to look at, but they also, in a book like this, offer a sort of entry point. If you're flipping through, you can kind of be like, oh, what's that? And then you stop, and then all of a sudden you're reading. And I loved the uh, the propaganda posters. Yeah, those are some of my favorites. I mean, I am a big fan of uh, that type of artwork, just period. You know, in World War II, yep. that, that whole um, very bold, that really in-your-face iconography – and I, I'm a big fan of it. I always thought it was just really fun. And um, people have done takeoffs of that in a, du- a number of different places, you know, just uh, not just Star Wars, but a lot of sort of geek properties. They've People have done sort of parody propaganda posters. And yeah. um, But within the universe, I was thinking that, you know, if anybody was going to have these kind of things, it'd probably be somebody like the Empire. You know, they would have these very – we're uh, looking a little bit, I think a little less toward – um, World War II and a little in terms of uh, Soviet posters where they're very like, you know, here's the ranks of marching soldiers all in the stretching out into infinity. And like, you know, there was a little bit of a, uh, I think we we're trying to take off on uh, Soviet iconography from a similar era yeah. than, uh, the, than the allied propaganda posters. Let's talk a little bit about these the special editions. Yeah, the the Imperial Handbook is a deluxe edition right now. And there is also a deluxe edition for Jedi Path and Book of Sith and Bounty Hunter Code. Now, if the pattern holds, which I think it will, uh, there should be a book-only version coming out about this time next year, usually Mm -hmm. about a year year delay, maybe next summer. We'll come out with a book-only version. So the deluxe edition for these things usually retails at uh, $99, but on Amazon you can usually get it for about $65. But it's very cool. Uh, and then the yeah. book only the book only version is a lot cheaper if you just want to read the story. But what we had found with Star Wars is that a lot of fans like to read the story, but they also like the collectible aspect of it. And that's what these cases are. The Imperial Handbook has a special case. You open it up; it's a big box, and it has a um, 
a very black, sleek looking uh, case. And it has a big, you know, imperial, it's black with a big white cogwheel sort of imperial symbol right in the center. And you push these little buttons on the side of that and it goes, whoosh, and it like <laughs> whooshes open. You know, it splits right down the middle and it just really rapidly just boop, it pops open. And then there's lights and sound effects. There's a sound effect that goes with it that is the, there's elements of the imperial droid that in uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, when uh, it's going at that that sort of interrogation droid going into oh, Princess mm-hmm. Leia's cell, there's a sort of like well noise yeah. that it goes. That's in there, so it was kind of cool to hear that. And then um, <laughs> you can remove the book and then uh, read it. And then within the book, there's a removable. There's a little card. It's a artifact registration card that. Uh, again, like we were saying earlier, that the conceit is that this is actually something that existed in the universe. So the Empire would have issued this book to its commanders, and they would have done it in this sleek case, you know, because that's the Empire. And then uh, the Rebel Alliance took it, and then they wrote in it, and then there's a little card just saying like, hey, you know, this is item number 36782 in the Rebel Alliance inventory. <laughs> and then um, if you remove the book, underneath that there's a, a metal, a little metal M-E-T-A-L, M-E-D-A-L, and it's a called the Imperial, I think we call it the Imperial Order of Glory medal, but just some sort of like thing that you mm-hmm. would, you know, these new officers would put on their on their uh, uniforms to mark their ascension to this elite rank or something yeah. like that, yeah. So have you been a Star Wars fan since forever, or how did you... Yeah, uh, pretty, pretty much, yeah, I, I, ba- I basically grew up on Star Wars, I was a ginormous fan and um was always a fan just really grew up on the series and just loved it and i've been writing for star wars since the 90s now so it's been a been a while and i've written a ton of different books but i kind of got a lucky break because in the mid 90s um i was uh such a big star wars fan that i was actually i was a it was america online was, I mean, this is <laughs> we're going back to like literally mid nineties and, uh, you know, the World Wide web wasn't even a really a thing at the time. Yeah. And so, um, I was on America online and, uh, finding other star Wars fans I was like, wow, you can actually find star Wars fans on the internet. Like it was a really <laughs> remarkable thing. Like I felt like, wow, I found my people. And so I actually made this file just in my own free time. I made a file called the star Wars planets guide. And so I just went with like a for Alderaan and I, I got all the planets in the movies and some of the spinoff books and things. And I like wrote a, a guide cause I thought it would be useful. And I put it in like a file library mm-hmm. and fans could download it from a file library. And then, um, at the time, because, um, the World Wide web or just the internet period was such a new thing. It was a smaller community. And so there were a couple of people who were writers, um, professional writers like Kevin J Anderson and that, who, mm-hmm. um, were active in the same communities that, that I was active in. And would download things like this planet guide because they're writing novels. And they're like, oh, this will be helpful, you know. And then uh, it turned out that Lucasfilm was looking. They were going to publish a book called The Essential Guide to Planets and Moons. It was going to be a, you know, a paperback, trade paperback guide to all the planets and things. And um, luckily enough, I got sort of my name passed along. And I was able to sort of audition for it. And uh and I got it. And since then, I've been able to do other things. That is great. It was a huge break. And I mean, you know, the, the thing is that you have to be um, uh, show people that you're, you know, the stuff and that you're you're competent and that you can do it. 
uh, so then you get hired, but then also, you know, do a good job, don't make a fuss, <laughs> meet your deadlines, you yep. know, all that. And then if, you know, you're able to do that and they're like, wow, this guy was really good and easy to work with, the chance, odds are that you'll, you might get another assignment, although it's never guaranteed. Yeah. But I've been, I've been fortunate in that, in that there have been, uh, more assignments that have been similar to that. Also on, uh, uh, Star Wars is a big love of mine, but I also was a big comic book fan. And so after, you know, eventually I, I got to know some other people just from the Star Wars stuff and uh, worked on the DC Comics Encyclopedia. And then a couple of years later, I worked on the Marvel Comics Encyclopedia. So I've I've been having also a I'm, I'm just as active on the superhero side as I am on the Star Wars side. Yeah, uh, awesome segue. Because um, <laughs> I was going to talk about Marvel and DC a little bit. Yeah, I saw you did uh, actually two Marvel encyclopedias. That's awesome. And a big book on DC supervillains. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah, the supervillains one just came I had a busy year in terms of releases. I, I just came out a book called the DC Comics Supervillains uh ultimate visual history or something i forget the subtitle but it's a it's a uh look at all the super villains of dc comics so we've got the joker and lex luthor and you know catwoman and that we've got uh black manta and uh giganta and uh sinestro and i mean just all over the place and it was really fun to do because I love the villains, you know, I mean, I love the heroes, but the villains are so much fun. And, <laughs> and it was, um, it's a sort of a retrospective of the villain. So we're talking about the Joker. And uh, so we'll talk about how the character came to be and how he evolved over the years. And then I was able to interview a lot of people, you know, uh, Mike Carlin and, and Chuck Dixon and Dan Didio and uh, Jim Lee and all these people are offering their insights into the creation of the characters. And so that was really fun um but i also this year because i um back in uh was it april that amazing spider-man 2 came out uh the movie and so i had done a couple of spider-man books they weren't actually movie books but we released them around the same time as the movie one was called spider-man character encyclopedia which is similar you know sort of looking at all the various supporting cast and rogues gallery of spider-man and the other one which was super fun was called the world according to spider-man and that was uh it was almost a, it's a, basically like a humor book um and it was similar to you know i was talking about that imperial handbook in the sense that it's almost like a book what if peter parker wrote a book about being a superhero and that was kind of the conceit and so it's it's funny it's lighthearted. it's not really taking place in universe you know um but it's like what if he actually sat down and you were a superhero and you want to follow in his footsteps? What kind of advice would he give you? Uh, and it's very tongue in cheek and uh, illustrated in, in a really fun way. It was I it's one of the favorite one of my favorite books I've ever done was that World According to Spider Man. I was just super happy with how it came out. And is there ever like a particular supervillain or hero that you really look forward to writing about, or maybe one that you haven't got to write about that you'd really like to? That's a good question. I mean I've written so much about Marvel and, and DC. Um, it's just that there's other, there's all these, I think it, maybe it's more appropriate for other universes, you know, because I just like so many things. And whenever <laughs> I'm a big fan of something, I'm like, boy, I wish I could work on that, you know? So like Doctor Who, you know? I mean, I'd love to do something on that. Or Star Trek. I've never written anything about Star Trek, but I'm a big fan. And um, there was a, a Game of Thrones book that came out uh, for the HBO series a while ago. And, and I actually... Um, 
had written up a pitch for it. You know, I was like, God, I'd love to work on that. So I had a publisher and I had written up a pitch like, you know, behind the scenes making of the HBO series Game of Thrones. And they ended up commissioning one, but they went into something else. But I'm always trying to find that angle just because, you know, whenever I enjoy a property like that, my mind always starts thinking like, you know, I, I think a lot of geeks kind of think the same way, but like I yep. get into a show and I get into like a show like Doctor Who and I'm like, oh, wow. So there's all this stuff and there's all this history and all these planets and all these, what is this species that he's, he's is this a, ever appeared before? And I get like, you know, uh, neck deep into the wiki. The next thing I know, <laughs> yeah. I just like, yeah, I just devour this stuff. And so then I, I want to like write about it, you know, like I want to do an encyclopedia about it because I kind of love to do that kind of thing. And so I, I've been super lucky that I it, been able to do as much as I have. But like I was saying at the beginning, when I was did the Star Wars Planets Guide, you know, I wasn't doing that for a paycheck or anything. I was just doing it because I really love Star Wars Planets, you know. And that's it's just fun to have an outlet where you can do something like that, and it's official. Um, but you know, it doesn't make it doesn't legit. It doesn't really legitimize it anymore. It's just the same stuff I would be doing anyway. It's it's nice that it's legitimized, <laughs> but it's not like it's any better than anything that other people are doing. You know, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm on a different tier than what a lot of fans are doing already. Uh, Star Wars has uh, an amazing website called Wikipedia. So it's not Wikipedia; it's Wikipedia after Chewbacca. And uh, you know, the guys who maintain that, I I, I think are uh, are incredible. You know, and they're just doing that for out of the love of of the property really yeah it's i'm i'm amazed by some of the uh, wikis that i find um i was looking at a uh, alien wiki a few weeks ago alien and aliens that universe mm-hmm. and the level of detail and work put into the entries is really astonishing and it's all just people doing it for the love i've almost gotten spoiled about it and this is maybe this has changed but i remember it was about God, it was about four four years ago. I was trying to. I was starting to watch Supernatural, the TV show. Yeah. And and uh, and I liked the show, but it, and this was a while back, so maybe it's gotten better. But I remember I started watching the first few episodes, and I'm like, I gotta find the wiki on this. And so I did, and I was disappointed because it wasn't as detailed as I liked, and there were a lot of red links and stuff. And I'm like, ah, you know, like I get so <laughs> spoiled. Like I figure that there's limitless plethora of detail. Uh, out there, and sometimes there's not, you know, especially if it's a newer property. There's definitely more detail now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, you're talking to a gargantuan supernatural nut here. Uh, Every oh, Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. No, it's a really fun show. There was a magazine that I used to, I wrote a few articles for, for a supernatural magazine uh, back in the day. It was Titan Publishing used to do a magazine. I don't know if they still oh, yeah. do it, but... That was another thing where I was like, God, I like that. I, I should work in that, you know? So I wrote a couple of articles. It wasn't anything big, but, you know, it's fun. I like to, you know, it's just fun to to enjoy these things and then to sort of participate in them on some level, you know? It just, I don't know, it's a, uh, it's the same feeling you get when you, like, see it and then you go on, like, a message board or something and you talk to other fans or you comment on an article or you, you know, you tweet about it or you go to a convention or that kind of thing. It's that sort of you know, participating in your own way um, in something that you really like. 
the Supernatural 10th anniversary like big convention is in Minneapolis next summer. So me and my friend are going to go to that. We're super excited. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. I, just, I, know, I heard they had a convention out in like uh, the West Coast or something like that. They do conventions gonna... like all year. It's crazy. Oh, but yeah. I didn't know they were going to have one in the here. Twin Cities. That's crazy. Yeah, we're really excited. <laughs> That's great. I just saw a great picture of the guys. There was an article online about the 200th show. Yeah. And they had a picture of of the boys from the 200th show. And then they had a picture of the boys from like back in the first yeah. season. Oh and, my gosh. and they look like they're 12 when it I showed the, uh, the old <laughs> ones. It was hilarious. I can't even talk about it. <laughs> Titan does a lot of tie-in stuff. I used to write a few articles here and there for their Star Trek magazine. Yeah, they still do it. They still do a Star Wars magazine too that I've been working on for a long time too. And uh, you never know with those things. You know, I keep thinking, well, it's some. And I guess I was talking about magazines, but it's almost about a larger properties like that. Like when I was doing Star Wars books in the 90s, I was like, well, this is fun, but it'll, it'll probably burn itself out. You know, people get tired of Star Wars, you know, and then they did the special, <laughs> you know, special editions coming out. Yep. And I, well, they're making new movies. And so I'll probably have another five years or so in which I might have opportunity to write Star Wars books. And then after the new movie, the prequels come out, people will be sick of Star Wars. And then they did, the, <laughs> you know, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series. And I'm like, all right, well, this is kind of running, of course. And then eventually people are going to get tired of Star Wars. And then J.J. Abrams comes on and they make an episode seven. It's like, all right, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and people you- are on board, though. I was talking to my coworker and he was just totally like, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm going to see it right when it comes out. He was super psyched. I was almost like, you know, it's... It's you know it's J.J. Abrams right. It's not going to be the most perfect thing yeah. you've ever seen. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And it, well, the one thing is, when I talked to Star Wars fans initially, they were kind of like, because it's Disney and it's you know it's a whole new thing. Um, and so there's kind of like, oh, thank God, that's exactly what the series needs. And then some people are like, oh, I don't know, you know, it sounds too too crazy. But um, you know, I'm I'm excited. I'm a little, you know, the one thing that uh, a lot of geeks kind of zero in on is. Star Wars had a very deep expanded universe, you know, for a while that they would say, well, here's the movies um, and then here's the animated series and then here's the novels and here's the comic books and here's the video games and all that stuff is official. It all takes place. And so a lot of the reference books that I wrote back in the day would take all that stuff into consideration and would say, well, Luke Skywalker, you know, had all these other adventures. And and then when Disney came on, they said, you know what, we're just going to wipe all that. And we're going to start over from from scratch, basically. And a lot of people were like, oh, that's that's terrible. And, you know, it looked to me like because I was so deep in the expanded mm-hmm. universe, like, wow, you must be outraged by this. And I was kind of like, you know, not in a sense I am. But in a, another sense, I'm not because I would much rather go into episode seven not having any idea. Yeah. What's going to happen? You know, yeah, just sit definitely. down like the last thing that actually happened in this universe was Return of the Jedi. And now it's like 20 years later, 30 years later. What the heck is going? You know, I have no, that's exciting. You know, I'd yeah. rather do that than than have to, um, you know, be beholden to the backstory. So even though I like the backstory, I can see where they're coming from. And and the 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 more the sting recedes of losing all that, you know, official quote unquote status, um, the more excited I get by the possibility of seeing yeah. something that I'm not expecting or have no idea what to expect. Exactly. That's why I thought when J.J. did the Star Trek films, the idea of doing them as an altered timeline 
I, that was a great decision. That yeah. just you know they can do whatever they want now. They do not have to worry about all those decades of continuity. Yeah. And so I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I I love the new Star Trek movies. Like he arguably did a really good job with the reboot of the entire like universe. So I mean, we can just hope that he'll do the same for Star Wars. Yeah. Really, I think. And he brought in a whole new generation of people and fans. Oh, absolutely. And I think he'll do the same thing with the uh, with the episode seven. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully, I'll get to work on some some tie-ins or something like that. Yeah. But but I think they're too uh, we're too it's too far out yet. Nobody's uh, no, you know nobody's working on those things. I think they just wrap filming another in post production. So maybe um, six months from now, I'll I'll be doing something. Who knows? And well, the the new film aside, did you do you have anything else in the in the pipeline and in, in uh, in Star Wars or in any of your DC Marvel kind of stuff? Yeah, I just uh, had a book that just came out. Star Wars, in the meantime, they you know they had the prequels and they have Episode Seven coming up. But in the meantime, they had an animated series called Star Wars The Clone Wars. And then they just re... Well, not rebooted, but they just sort of re-launched um, their animated universe with a new series called Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. And that is a series about, uh, you know, like five, six characters who are on this planet um, and they're fighting the empire and it's kind of low stakes. You know, they're not like, it's not like Luke and Leia and, and all these Han Solo and all these characters. They're just kind of these new characters and they're just on this one planet. And so, um, you know, in a galactic sense, the stakes are kind of small, but for their perspective, the stakes are pretty big, you know, because yeah. they, they want to survive and it's a fun show. Um, I just, uh, I wrote a book. I do a lot of these. I, apparently I've, gotten this niche of doing these like in-universe sort of journal-y things because uh, the book that just came out is called Star Wars Rebels, Rebel Journal by Ezra Bridger. And Ezra Bridger is the main character in there. He's a 14-year-old orphan who's kind of living on the streets and he falls in with these rebels. And so it's a journal, uh, you know, like like the other things I was talking about, it's like, you know, you pick this up and, the you know, with a little bit of suspension of d- disbelief, you're paging through it and these are his thoughts in his own writing with his own sketches and doodles um, of his experiences uh, working on this kind of thing. And I also finished another one that will be out in February as a secondary character called um, Sabine, who is, uh, she's a demolitions expert and she wears uh, Mandalorian armor, kind of like Boba Fett mm-hmm. and she's a super cool character. And so there's another one that's same vein, but that one's called the uh, Sabine's rebel sketchbook. Cause she's also an artist. So we got an artist uh, named Annie Stoll who did all the artwork in that original artwork and, and did a fantastic job. So that's coming out soon. And then, um, Oh, one other thing that should be out soon, I think within before the end of the month is, uh, I talked about that Spider-Man book earlier, the yeah. world according to Spider-Man. There's one called the world according to Batman that's coming out for DC. And that one's, it's similar in the sense that, you know, the trim size is similar, but it's different in the sense that, the Spider-Man one was very humorous and jokey. The Batman one is not humorous <laughs> and jokey. Batman is just, you know, I remember because I had just come off the Spider-Man one and the editor was like, hey, we need someone to help out with the, the Batman one. And I was so in the in the Spider-Man mode that I was like, well, could we do it kind of like, you know, the Adam West sort of like thing? And they're like, no, 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 no you don't understand. So it's very serious. It's uh, Batman sort of uh, instructing, um, you know, his successor. Yeah. Have it, you know, like, hey, here's all the things that you need to know, you know, if you're going to take over for me. So um, it's, <laughs> it's very, you know, it goes through all the grim, all the, the, it's all probably the, the stuff, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, 
it's not uh, Peter. It does ha- has none of the Parker the Parker wit, you know. <laughs> no, Bruce Wayne is a very dour guy compared to uh, yeah. Peter. Yeah, so. I just I'm just hearing like the uh, the Christian Bale voice in my head, <laughs> yeah, just saying, exactly. you know, trust no one, <laughs> everyone <Yeah>. dies. <laughs> yeah, and it's they're really fun books in that. that. Yeah, hopefully uh, the other thing I about the uh, world according to Batman and the world, world according to Spider Man is they have uh, little cards and things you can remove, like little like you know Bruce Wayne's business card, and there's like a letter from the Daily Planet or Bugle, oh, yeah. sorry, Daily Bugle for uh, Peter Parker from J Jonah Jameson, and just little things like that that you can kind of take out of pockets and that stuff. That is so, so fun. I'm glad they're, you they're brought really that fun. up. They're, they're kind of just fun gift holiday books. They're yeah, not, it, it doesn't take very long to read them, but they're just kind of fun to play around with. Yeah, I had meant to ask you about those, so I'm glad you brought that up because I saw. I think it was a vine you had posted, and you, so you could see some of the little things that open up and come out of the book. Yeah, there's one I posted. I posted a vine about um, the world according to Spider-Man, so that's on you know it's on my Twitter feed or yeah, something. that's right. Uh, and then um, that one has uh, look at some of those things. Um, the Ezra's journal thing, the Ezra's Rebel journal for Star Wars Rebels is similar. It also has some of those like cards and things that fold out. Um, and I have another video of that and I haven't gotten the Batman one world according to Batman, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll get those and I'll probably, probably do the same thing. Cool. I have to ask on the, uh, the little vine of the Imperial handbook, who, who was the hand model there that opened up? <laughs> that was, uh, that was my daughter. Uh, that's, that's what I was wondering. Liliana, she's, she's, uh, eight and was wearing a Halloween costume at the time. So if you look at the thing, there's these small hands come in and she has like these long black sleeves with like these tapered, like yeah. things that go over her hand. Like it was like this weird, like because she was wearing a vampire costume. Oh, great. <laughs> As a huge comic book fan, do you want to talk a little bit about all the stuff that's going on in the TV and movies with the, the various universes? Yeah, that's a good question because um, it's really interesting. I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of comic books getting, their day in the sun. You know, mm-hmm. I love it. I love the fact that we've got all these movies in the pipeline and so on. Um, I agree in general that I think Marvel's doing a great job. I really like Marvel's output. I mean, it, and and I, if you had, you know, told me five years ago that they're going to do an Iron Man movie and a Captain America movie, you know, first I would have been skeptical. Of, eh, I don't know. If people, I don't know if people are going to get in. You know, I don't know if people liked it. You know, I'm always, I'm always, you know, I'm always assume the worst when it comes to these things like i I never think that you know the stuff that we like has that much you know widespread appeal and so my first instinct would have been i don't know if those movies are going to work and then you said that they're going to do an avengers movie and it's going to have you know captain america and thor and iron man i I would have been this is crazy it's never going to happen it's never no one's going to go see that movie it's one of the biggest movies of all time and so I really like what Marvel is doing. I think they've, they've figured something out, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I respect what DC is doing, even if I don't think they're as much fun. Uh, <laughs> but I, I respect what they're doing, which is that they're trying to do something different thematically. You know, the, the Dark Knight movies and the Man of Steel and that, you know, they're a lot more – they're a lot grimmer. They're a lot more serious. They, they have a different tone. They're shot differently. And even if I, even if I kind of, I think I kind of prefer the Marvel approach, at least they're not just trying to ape what Marvel is doing. And, and they're trying to do something a little bit different and have their own style. And I respect that where I think DC is doing a bang up job is on television. Yeah. 
you know, I think they're doing fantastic. And people don't forget that. They're like, oh, DC, you know, they're, they're not doing that good in the movies. But look at what they're doing on television. They're, they're killing it. That Flash show is is fantastic. I love it. You know, yeah. I, I think it's phenomenal. And they've got Arrow and they, you know, they had just, you know, they did Smallville for how many years? Like nine, eight, nine seasons. Um, Gotham is going now. Um, you know, they just, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing. And the Penguin is just stealing Gotham, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm so happy that they did that Gotham and and that's a different take on a, a superhero universe. You know, it's a different take. And then I was really happy that they did Flash. Flash is just a straight up that's just old school, you know, here's Barry Allen and he gets zapped by lightning and now he can, you know, I mean it's basically the nineties version of Flash, just updated. You know, they didn't yeah. even and and it's fantastic. I mean, it's just like I I'm really cheered that you don't have to necessarily reinvent like you would say that Gotham and Smallville are kind of similar in the sense that, all right, well, before they were heroes, mm-hmm. this stuff was going on. It's interesting. But I also like the fact that with Arrow and Flash, you can say, all right, we're just going to do a superhero show and you can you can pull it off. Well, it's weird because if you're, you know, for my daughter, she's used to just having this genre stuff everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you and I... <laughs> We grew up in in the uh, wasteland of you know, <laughs> the, you oh, had, yeah. You had these certain titles, certain things that uh, were successful. You'd have a movie here and there that was successful, but this this whole I mean the way the geeks have just taken over. over no, it's the last really 10 something. Years. It's it's really something because I mean I remember you know when a superhero movie was made for TV movie with like. David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury. Or yeah, yeah. Like that was that was what a movie was, and it was kind of a big deal. Oh wow, this is they're actually going to have Nick Fury on television. What is a big deal? And you tune in, and it would be terrible, and it would get Asshole. terrible ratings. And you'd be like, well, you know, this goes to show that my my takeaway from a lot of that stuff was like, this stuff doesn't have a mainstream appeal. You know, like I like it. You know, well, not David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury, but yeah. um, but you know, you you get the feeling like it was a mistake to try to go too big with this. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I think the, f- the first one that was really a revelation was uh, Brian Singer's X-Men. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, wait a minute, this was actually really good. They actually did an X-Men movie that didn't scare people away. That wasn't too dense in its own mythology that explained the premise. That was really cool visually. And it was wildly popular. And then all of a sudden that, I mean, the X-Men movie came before um, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, right? I think so. I think so too. And then Spider Man came out and it was like, oh, okay, yep, I think we've cracked it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. And so, ever since then, there's been so many fun movies. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, we just recently did an episode that went through all the X Men movies. Yeah. And uh, so we watched watched them all except for um, the Wolverine. For me, it was the third time I'd watched them all. In, 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 in a, <laughs> relatively short time span and it was really fun to see well, it's really fun because there's there's some i mean they're fun movies i mean the first one and the second one, i even like the third one i don't know a lot of people don't like it but um i think they're a lot of fun to watch and then i remember feeling like the the genre itself like i i had kind of been played out like i, I knew what to expect from an x-men movie and then i saw first class and i'm like whoa <laughs> this is a completely like it, it was so much fun like it was completely unlike that but it's just like I don't know. It's just I, I'm encouraged by the fact that you don't have to have a certain way. Like I don't think X Men First Class is anything like Thor, and I don't think Thor is anything like uh, The Dark Knight. 
but I think that it's great that a similar genre, which is superhero genre, can support all of those different uh, styles. Yeah, when you get into, I mean, an X-Men movie that's got Richard Nixon as a character, <laughs> you know, that's just astonishing. You wouldn't... Uh, you, what more could you want from an X-Men movie? Yeah. <laughs> and so that they're getting to this point where they're able to use uh, uh, various historical backdrops, it really is kind of amazing, and it shows how, on the one hand, how mainstream it's gotten, but it also shows that they're willing to really go out on a limb and do stuff that you wouldn't expect. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, let's do a superhero movie that has the Cuban Missile Crisis in it. You know what, I, I just realized the, uh, the thing is, um, the parallel here, in my opinion, is... Um, back, you know, 20 years ago, uh, comic books were sort of this little genre off by itself. And there was like a comic book movie, like a good one. I mean, there's like Superman, the, you know, the 78 version, which was great, yep. but you know, there are various, uh, exceptions, but for the most part, it was like poison. You know, you wouldn't do a superhero <laughs> movie. Right. And, and it would be a bad idea. And now it's like, Oh, of course you would, you know, superheroes are really fun. And I think the parallel to that right now is like gaming. Like a lot of people are like really into gaming and they like Halo and they like Mass Effect and they like all these universes. And there has never been a really good movie or extended property based on a game. You know, you just you have these terrible ones that are like David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury. You know, you get these Resident Evils or these just these really bad, <laughs> you know, awful made cash grab movies and stuff based on games. And I think gamers are like, oh, God, nobody gets it. And I think that that's kind of where comic books were 20 years ago. And I think eventually that'll that'll flip. You get, start getting people who grew up on. I think that I, I just this just occurred to me. Uh, it's people who grew up on comic books are now you know professionals and able to make their own, yeah. their own yeah. movies. And it'll be people who grew up on games will be in the industry and be like, oh, you know what? Here's the way you make a Halo movie or something like that. Yeah. And that'll be that might be where we're you know geeks are. Uh, focusing their attention uh, 20 years from now. I, I saw a Halo movie. I don't know if it was ever in theaters. It's one of these things where I was watching TV late at night <laughs> and I was just like looking through stuff on Hulu and there was this movie and it was really surprisingly well done and developed kind of slowly. I would have expected it to just be straight into the action, all sorts of explodey stuff, but they took the, the time to develop these characters as they were going through training Mm -hmm. And then the aliens attacked the academy or whatever, and so then the 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 uh, rookie students have to band together and and uh, try to fight against the aliens, and they jump into one of those vehicles. What are they called? The 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 warthogs. Uh, the warthogs. That the, when, I... <laughs> when you're trying to drive them on the Xbox, they can be so hard to drive, <laughs> and they they jumped into the warthog and they started going down the road, and it was kind of careening back and forth on the road. And someone said to the person who was driving, "You know what's going on?" He's like, "Well, this is harder than it looks." I just when, and it was when such we a first great got reference Halo, to the game, and I would play it on the Xbox, it'd just be like both of us screaming because <laughs> I was like killing people on my team because I was fishtailing in the warthog. I'm better now. <laughs> do you do a lot of gaming yourself then? Computer gaming or otherwise? Uh, you know, I like, I kind of keep up on a little bit, but it, it's hard. There's a large time investment in it that, That's you know, you can watch it, you can watch a movie in two hours, but you can't really play a game like a story-based game. You know, it might take like 40 hours and it's like, 
Really? You know, and if you're not very <laughs> if you're not very good at games, it might take you sixty hours. You know, so yeah. um, it's uh, I kind of I dabble in a lot of it, but um, it's it's a time thing more more than anything. It's hard. I own a lot of computer <laughs> games, and I never play them. And I own a lot of board games, and I never never play them. I played <laughs> through I played through Portal and Portal Two, and I think those are like the only games I've actually like <laughs> completed. I got yeah. I got um pretty far in Half Life. I haven't played Half Life in a while either. Yeah, well, those are two. Those are some great games. I mean, Port. I played. I finished Portal One and Portal Two as well. And those are those are some really good examples of just uh, interactive storytelling and characters and stuff. And and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, really popular stuff in there. And I, I just wonder. Eventually, I, I feel like you know, gaming we'll have a broader renaissance. And I think a lot of things you say, well, we should make a mass effect movie or something. And a lot of gamers will be like, Oh, you know, people don't know the universe and they don't understand the backstory and they don't know all the stuff and they, they've never played it. And it's really, you know, and it's the same kind of complaints that I think comic book readers would have made against an Avengers movie. Yeah. You know, 15 years ago, like, well, you know, people don't know who they are. You know, they don't know, you know, Thanos, like, you know, God, you got to like read, like, a hundred issues just to know Thanos is. <laughs> you know, really, you know, it, it, people are okay with it. You know, you just introduce him. He's a character and here's, here's what you need to know. And um, I'm just, I'm encouraged by how well the uh, comics, which are so, so dense in their mythology and that, you know, that uh, it can be translated like surprisingly accessible to broader audiences. And I'm, and I'm super happy about that. They don't have to dumb it down either. It's like, the other thing that I like about the way Marvel is doing it is, you know, the, another flip side of the old uh, David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury thing was like, you do an adaptation, but, oh, you can't have him in costume, you know, that's too weird, or, you know, we'll put him in t-shirts, and rather than have him at this, you know, academy, we'll have him in high school, and rather than, you know, like they do all this rewriting to, like, make it more accessible, and it, at least with the Marvel movies, they're like, no, no. No, it's fine. We'll just, you know, we'll make it as we'll make it super comic booky. <laughs> People yeah. are okay with it. Yeah. I rely a lot on the Uber geeks of Tumblr to supply me with the background information I need about comic book characters. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's hard to get the the back history in that, but it's kind of fun because it's an excess. I mean, if you really see the movies and you really like. Hawkeye and Black Widow, and then you can buy a, a series about Hawkeye or a trade paperback or something like that. That's great, you know. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think it's it's so much fun to that the the movies have been as successful as they have because you know the more the characters and the storylines can be evangelized. <laughs> Fractions Hawkeye is like the first comic book series that when I started reading it, it was like the best thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Well, exactly. Yeah. 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 I was in a comic book store the other day and, uh, you know, they have, uh, they have a rocket raccoon series now, you know, and all this, you know, they, they know what they're doing and, and, um, for a certain group of people, they're just really gonna enjoy, um, reading these stories either in paper format or the, or digitally. For whatever reason, I've just never been super into like the actual comic books. But then, uh, yeah, not too long after we got super into Marvel, I saw panels of Fractions Hawkeye online. It was just like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And now we have like all of them and I'm always so excited to read more. <laughs> that's great. No, yeah, Matt, Matt Fraction is a really f talented and, uh, and funny writer in a lot of ways.
You mentioned earlier when we were talking about Imperial Handbook that your daughter was uh, dressed as a vampire for <laughs> Halloween. Uh, so your daughter is turning into a geek? Well, I don't know. She's kind of got her own things that she likes, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, you know, I have all this stuff around uh, in that. But, you know, I kids kind of like their own things, too. Yep. So, you know, so like... Like, um, her biggest thing is not, uh, comic books and that, uh, like, or not superheroes. It's, uh, SpongeBob. Oh yeah. Like that, <laughs> she just loves, Spon- you know, so, um, I was at uh, San Diego comic-con and, uh, she just watches SpongeBob, the TV show all day long. And so, um, uh, when I bought her comic books, I, they're, uh, Bongo comics, which is, uh, one that does the Simpsons comics. Yep. Does a SpongeBob comic, and it's really well. It's actually really well done. It's got a lot of uh, indie artists and stuff. And I bought her like four issues of that and brought them back, and she loved them. And so that's like you know the intro to that. So you know yep. who knows, but it's like I don't want to necessarily. I want to find the right um, starting material. You know, yeah. the right uh, the right uh, kindling for the fire. Yeah, I, I I think back to that summer of 1977, and uh, <laughs> seeing Star Wars. It, and it, man, it just changed my life. I, I, you know, I went back to the movie multiple times. I'd never gone to, I'd never watched a movie more than once in the theater at that point. You know, I bought the Star Wars soundtrack. I'd never gotten a movie soundtrack before. You know, it just uh, changed everything. And then it's, I mean, it's really uh, the the success of Star Wars is what really helped uh, light a fire under the uh, Star Trek movies as well. And so. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, if it wasn't for Star Wars, uh, you know, the Star Trek, the motion picture probably wouldn't have been made. And, yeah, uh, you know, things like E.T. and, you know, these other things probably wouldn't have been made either. It was, a, you know, there was a whole, I think, um, a lot of that early 80s stuff that was very genre friendly, like Gremlins and Poltergeist and, you know, these movies that are, um, you know, I think some of that was the appeal of... Uh, of Star Wars and this sort of like fantastic subject matter could be very popular. And it got a lot of studios interested in that kind of thing. I was speaking with one of my coworkers the other day and, and she's much younger and she had just seen Star Wars for the first time, the, the uh, episode four. And she was kind of like, you know, I, I don't quite get it. Everyone goes on and on and on and on about this movie. And, and I said, well, you have to understand the context of it, that when that movie came out, there was nothing else like it. It just so re-energized the science fiction form in film. And now, decades later, there's this science fiction everywhere, and so people don't necessarily understand what a breath of fresh air it was. Yeah, yeah. The other thing was, you know, visually, I think it was just nothing the special effects that, you know, look dated now, but at the time I think were really just absolutely stunning. And I think maybe for some people, um, equivalent would be like, um, uh, when Jurassic park came out yeah. in 93, where it was like, Oh my God, like these are like, like real dinosaurs. you know, <laughs> up until that happened, um, uh, you know, that was a real revolution where it was like, you couldn't even believe what you were seeing when it came out because it was so different. And I think that those kind of, that was another um, sort of milestone in the yeah, sense yeah. of sort of a line in the sand, like, all right, well, now, you know, now movies are going to be different from now on. You know, like that was another um, similar, I think, moment, um, more from a technical standpoint, yeah. but also very influential. Yeah, that was a game changer. 
Well, and they just released the Jurassic World trailer teaser. Have you guys seen that? Yes. I have not. No, I got to check that out. I think it's like the description sounds long. fun. Oh, 10 yeah. seconds long. Right. Yeah, they're releasing the <laughs> they're releasing the actual trailer on Thursday. But they released like this like just a, like three clips in a row. Yeah. It's like a trailer like, for the trailer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> but uh, I'll go find it. It's it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> It, look, it looks great. I because dinosaurs, I'm dinosaurs like, and Chris Pratt. What do you? What I'm, more? I'm speechless about it. I can't. It's like I. It didn't feel real until now, and on Thursday, I'm just gonna lose my mind. <laughs> well, I'll keep my eyes open. I might watch that tra- teaser teaser to the trailer trailer thing tonight. Well, Dan, this was so much fun. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks. That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 28, Art in Space. We'll be talking with author Ron Miller about his beautiful new book, The Art of Space, an illustrated history of artists envisioning space travel. Generations Geek is part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from series in the asteroid belt. Please give their other fine podcasts to listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come Come back back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.